is happening, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. I am Kyle Serlo, and uh, here yet again to take you through uh, a few of the topics for this week. We're recording this on Wednesday, April the 18th, 2018. So i uh, got a few things to get into today, a couple news items, a couple uh, of things I'd like to address regarding the professionals uh, the first of which was I just wanted to talk about last weekend's RBC Heritage uh, real quickly. Um, and when I say quickly, that that may even be overstating it. I just want to let you guys know that I didn't watch a single second of last week's RBC Heritage. I was still on a Masters. I, I wouldn't call it a hangover because it was kind of pleasant. Uh, you'd still just fondly thinking about how great the Masters was, but I didn't watch it. Uh I don't think I really missed a whole lot. Um, there was a big old hullabaloo on the uh, the old internets. Uh, a lot of people complaining and bitching that uh, the final round had been tape delayed because they had moved up all the tee times on Sunday uh, because they had some inclement weather coming in later in the afternoon, so they wanted to make sure they got all of the golf in there. And then uh, rather than broadcasting it live, they played early in the morning, taped it, and then broadcasted at the normally scheduled broadcast time, and people were just bitching and complaining. And this is actually forced, uh, according to a story I saw either on Golf Digest, uh, I believe it was on Golf Digest this morning, um, how now CBS is reconsidering and reexamining their policy with tape-delayed broadcasts. So uh, if anything, this could be you know a step in the right direction in terms of not doing any more tape-delayed sports. I think with the advent of social media, uh, we can all agree that, you know, doing stuff on tape delay just really doesn't work anymore. Uh, although what CBS isn't telling a lot of you people and a lot of these schmucks may not realize is that the ratings for this last Sunday's RBC Heritage were higher than last year's, even with the tape delay. Yeah, that one hurts. Anyway, so that uh, that is going on. Um, yeah, that, that's about it for the RBC Heritage. I really don't have anything else for you. Uh, let's go another, another, let's just get all this, uh, professional tour stuff out of the way and then we'll hit a little bit of news. Um, this week is the Valero Texas open where Kevin Chappell will be defending his title down there. Um, for those of you that don't know or aren't aware, or maybe you didn't care and still don't, but maybe you're a little curious. Um, it's going to be down at the TPC course down there. It's a Greg Norman design. I know Sergio Garcia consulted on it, uh, back when they did it in 2010, uh, but as Andy Johnson from the Friday pointed out, Sergio Garcia has not returned to this course since he helped uh, build it, which may be a little bit of an indication as to what the players think about the golf course itself. Uh, again, a Greg Norman design. I, I, I've only ever played Wente Vineyards, and that's a Greg Norman design, and I didn't love it. A beautiful golf course, uh, stunning setting. The golf course itself, though, is pretty meh. That I don't remember it all that much. And uh, according to a poll done by Golf Week, <laughs> this is, man, just, just really shitting on the tour right now. Uh, according to a player poll by Golf Week, uh, TPC San Antonio, uh, which is where the Valero Texas Open is going to be contested this weekend, uh, according to the players, is the fourth worst venue on tour. And that actually it would be the third worst because the worst venue on tour was TPC Four Seasons, according to this poll, but that's no longer a tour stop. So... The only courses that pros think less of than TPC San Antonio are TPC New Orleans, where coincidentally they'll be playing the Zurich next weekend, and of course, Torrey Pine South, the most 
shit golf course on the most spectacular piece of property um, on all of the West Coast. So, a lot of stuff to look forward to. Uh, kind of, if you're a diehard PGA Tour fan, you will find a way to really get amped for this weekend. If you're someone like me <clears throat> who pays, you know, my attention is a 10 out of 10 for majors, you know, and then goes to maybe like an eight for things like the players and, uh, you know, and, and the FedEx Cup playoffs and stuff like that. And then I kind of sit around a six, a five or a six for the other stuff. You know, a, a five might be really strong. With with spring rocking and rolling right now, the weather's getting good. My golf swing is starting to feel a little stale, which is making me feel like I really got to get out there and play a little bit more often. It, it's only really, it, it's going to crush my my ability to watch and really care about a lot of these, uh, these you know, basically B tour events. So, um, but let's go to the tour that, you know, at least in America, get you know, a little less attention is paid to. Uh, that's not the case um, in the Far East. But um, some exciting news. So the LPGA Tour is returning to Los Angeles uh, this upcoming weekend. They're going to be playing the Hugel JTBC Los Angeles Open. Um, it is going to be played at Wilshire Country Club. Uh, which is right, right in the thicket of uh, of downtown Los Angeles, right next to K Town. Um, you can see the Hollywood sign from the golf course. Uh, it's supposed to be a really, really cool venue. I know it's uh, it's it's an older design. I believe it was initially uh, designed in 1919. But Kyle Phillips, uh, who's done courses like Kings Barn, he did the complete restoration at California Golf Club. Uh, worked under Robert Trent Jones for a number of years before uh, stepping out of his shadow and doing his own thing. And really. In, in most people's opinions, I, I think is you know become a much, much better golf course architect than Robert Trent Jones Jr., uh, as has been the case with a few of his disciples. I mean, Jay Blasey, I would say, is better. Kyle Phillips is certainly better. Um, so it, it's a really, really fascinating, interesting golf course that I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see the ladies play. It tops out at like 6,500 yards, so it's going to be a, a good length where... You know, not just the long hitters out there are going to have, you know, a huge advantage. Uh, all all of the ladies, uh, I, I think, are going to have a shot this weekend if they are playing well. And it's really fascinating. Like, I didn't really, I, I guess I didn't really understand how special it is to have a LPGA Tour event in L.A. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's right next to K-Town. Um, most of you are probably already aware that, you know, Korean women absolutely dominate. Uh, the LPGA Tour. I think it's 10 of the top 21 women players in the world are from Korea. And, you know, another larger portion of those top, you know, 25 are are Asian or, or from the Far East somewhere, whether it be Japan, China, uh, Taiwan, you know, everywhere over there in the Far East. So uh, to have it come to Los Angeles, which has the largest um, base of Asian Americans, Asian immigrants, and especially Koreans, I mean, uh, Take it from me, I, I lived in Seoul for a couple of years. Koreans fucking love their golf, and they love women's golf. They're so passionate about it in much the same way that many you know journalists here in the States cover the PGA Tour. There is just as much enthusiasm and excitement for the women's game in the Far East. So for them to be going to a place that's right next to K-Town where there's going to be a ton of uh, of Asian spectators and you know and Caucasian and, and you know black spectators and it, there's going to be fans of all races uh, watching the tour event but it's going to be especially interesting to see how it works in Los Angeles with this, such a strong Asian contingent down there and it, it kind of goes at odds with sports in Los Angeles in general now we, we cover golf all across the west coast here so I, I'm sure a lot of you listening are from the Los Angeles area or the Southland area I guess which comprises Los Angeles and Orange Counties um, 
it's going to be fascinating because the region generally is really awful when it comes to professional sports. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff to do in Los Angeles. There's a ton of distractions. I mean, with the Hollywood and the celebrities and what all the, all the bullshit that goes on down there. there. There's just so much stuff going on that it's hard for professional sports to really grab and hold people's attention down in Los Angeles. I'm, other than the Dodgers, I, I can't really think of another professional sports franchise down there that draws... Uh, consistently and is widely accepted and supported by most of the people in the Los Angeles area. Um, I mean, shit, the Los Angeles Rams are lighting the NFL on fire. They have had probably the most prolific and insane offseason that any NFL team has had in the last dozen years. I haven't, you know, the, the friends that I have that are Rams fans, I literally haven't heard a word from them. I don't think they could care. They went without professional football for 20 years, didn't give really more than two shits. Um, it, it, it's just difficult, and especially with an LPGA Tour event. Uh, I believe it was, I, I was reading a article, maybe it was, oh geez, I'm going to mess this up here. I, I don't remember the name of the gal that was giving these quotes, but she was saying that uh, on the LPGA Tour, it's usually these smaller towns. Um, you know, I, I, I think it was Amy Alcott, I'm sorry, she's a native of Santa Monica and uh, an LPGA expert, World Golf Hall of Famer. And she said, quote, from my experience in the close to 40 years of playing on the LPGA Tour, I always found it was the small cities like the Corning, New York, Rochester, New York, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Du Bois, Iowa. Those are the cities that have smaller populations where the LPGA becomes the biggest show in town. When it's not the biggest show in town, like New York or Los Angeles, where there's so much going on, it becomes a little different animal. It's not that it can't thrive and be amazing. But a lot of it's promotion and just getting um, the golf people in the area behind it. And I, I, she brings up a really good point. As I was saying, with so much stuff going on in Los Angeles, uh, it, it'll be tough for the LPGA Tour to grasp the city's attention. I mean, it's a city of 4 million and a county of 10 million people. Not everybody's going to pay attention to nor cares about the LPGA Tour. And, you know, hey, not everybody's a golfer. Not, it, it's not one of those things where every resident of Los Angeles should be aware that the LPGA Tour is playing an event. Um down at Wilshire Country Club, but with so many golf fans, and again, that Asian population that's down there, I really, really hope that this tournament is a big, big success. Um, it, I, I don't really know what to make of these sponsors. It's a really difficult name. I know it's supposed to be the Los Angeles Open, but it's the Hoogle, uh JTBC LA Open. That's two different sponsors, by the way. Hoogle and JTBC are two separate companies. However, they are both Korean. Are we starting to notice a little trend here? Golf course next to Koreatown, played mostly by Korean professionals, sponsored by Korean companies in Los Angeles. Uh, Hoogle is a Korean Botox company. And you're saying to yourself, whoa, that's, that's so weird. Why would a Botox company sponsor an LPGA Tour event? Well, let me get back to telling you, from my years of experience of living in South Korea, uh, some of you may already know this, others may not, Korean culture is so shallow. I mean, looks are more important than personality, uh, you know, professional success, all that junk. If you, especially if, unfortunately, if you're a female and you are in Korea, um, you you are just judged pretty much primarily based on your looks. It sucks. Um, it, it's really almost borderline creepy. Uh, if you ever actually make it to Seoul and you go down to the neighborhood of Gangnam. Uh, or, or Gangnam, as, uh, as as a song says, uh, it, it's so crazy because 
eight out of every 10 billboards you see in this entire neighborhood. And it's not like a small little like neighborhood. It's a huge portion of the city just south of the Han River. Eight out of 10 billboards are for cosmetic surgery, plastic surgery, uh, Botox. I mean, it's just, it's so in your face and it's so accepted culturally um, that it's got to the point where in Korea, nobody even sees it as being much of a big deal um, to alter your appearance, to alter your appearance. Um, it, it, it just, it's very strange. So I think for the Korean, you know, because it's such a Korean influenced event, I, I don't really think many of the Korean spectators or players really even notice or think that it's strange, but Hey, a Botox company, you know, doing its thing in West Los, in West Los Angeles, it, you may, may actually have found a pretty nice little fit there. So, uh, Good for the LPGA Tour for returning to Los Angeles. Again, it hasn't been there since 2005 and had some mixed results in terms of its success uh, up until that point. But very, very cool to see the LPGA Tour returning to Los Angeles, coming back to California. And I believe they're going to be up in the Bay Area uh, and then a week after this one. So um, if you are into watching ladies play exceptional golf and be the best in the world, uh, us California residents have got a real treat coming up here. Los Angeles this weekend, Wilshire Country Club for the Hoogle JTBC Los Angeles Open. And then find the last little bit of news that I wanted to touch on uh, regarding professional golf is that uh, Fox Sports, who has the contract with the United States Golf Association, uh, they have, they're the exclusive broadcasting partner of the USGA. So all of the USGA's events are broadcast through Fox. And they have recently announced that they are going to air 45 hours of U.S. Open coverage uh, from Shinnecock Hills this summer, and I think this is absolutely fantastic. Um, I think it's it's finally starting to set in. Uh, the Masters has set such an excellent bar for everybody else and has really showed the other majors what's possible in terms of fan interaction, fan enthusiasm, and how much golf people want to consume. I mean, I know me as well as all my other hardcore golfing buddies you know, we're we're watching the Masters you know, from the second the broad, you know, the online telecast starts. We're watching the featured groups. We're watching the Amen Corner feed. As soon as a broadcast starts, we get another device up. We got one going on the TV, one on our laptop, and one on our tablet. We're just we're just soaking in as much Masters stuff as we possibly can. And uh, it, it's good to hear that Fox is going to be giving a similar treatment to the U.S. Open. It's you know. Shinnecock Hills, I mean, it's not Augusta in the fact that we don't get to see it every year, so we don't know the course quite as well. So there's part of what makes Augusta so great is that all of us know the golf holes, so we feel like we're a little bit more part of it. But Shinnecock Hills, you know, many people would say is pretty much just as good of a golf course. I mean, it's consistently ranked as one of the top 10 courses in the United States uh, by all of the major golf publications, Golf Week, Golf Digest golf magazine all, all those guys and so it is going to be a real treat to be able to just stuff my face with 45 hours of u.s open coverage uh this june so that was really really exciting and uh that is about it uh regarding professional uh golf so i do have a couple of items that i wanted to a couple of little news stories that i wanted to share with you and uh the first one of these stories comes all the way from down under. So this is a uh, an article that I stumbled across on golf.com this morning. And the the headline of this article is it's just really fantastic. I, I think you'll enjoy it. So the title is Drunken Etiquette Dispute 
leads to vicious golf course stabbing. Jail time. Well, if that isn't fucking intense, I don't know what is. So, uh, from Dylan Dethier, uh, this was published on Monday morning here. I'm, I'm just, I'm just gonna read you the article. I mean, it's, it's pretty short and it's really, you know, it's really sad and really fantastic all at the same time. All right, an Australian golfer has been jailed drunkenly after drunkenly stabbing his best friend, his best friend, in a near fatal incident. Um, Australia's The Herald Sun reports that the day started with three friends, Matthew McKay, Simon Mudd, and Sean Peterson, drinking and watching boxing on television before heading to Bradford Golf Course, just north of Melbourne. The dispute arose over McKay's behavior. The 31-year-old was damaging greens, quote, scratching one with the flag and stomping golf balls into another, end quote. But when his friends insisted he stop, McKay headed to the parking lot, where he returned with a Smith and Wesson switchblade. Pause. Before I continue reading this article, what a fucking dick! I'm glad his friends called him out. He's fucking scratching the greens with a flag stick. He's stopping balls into the green. You know, if you see somebody who's doing that same thing, assuming that you don't suspect that they may go and grab a knife and stab you, you should be telling people to stop that kind of stuff. Superintendents work savagely hard uh, to make the golf course as good as it is. And if you see somebody out there disrespecting it and fucking things up, if they seem like they are a rational human, talk to them. If they seem completely irrational or they seem exceptionally hammered, as this young gentleman uh, appears to be, then just go tell the golf shop and have that person escorted off the golf course. All right, let's get back into it. So when we left off, this young man, uh, (laughs) Matthew McKay, had just headed to the parking lot where he had returned with his Smith & Wesson switchblade. Peterson was the target of McKay's first knife swing before he turned to Mudd, driving the knife into his left thigh. The blade hit an artery, and Mudd immediately began to sustain serious blood loss. He was airlifted to a hospital for a blood transfusion and emergency surgery, arriving at the hospital, quote, minutes away from death, according to uh, County Court Court Judge Frank Gucciardo. McKay has pled guilty to recklessly causing serious injury and assault with a weapon and has been sentenced to 20 months in jail with a minimum of 10 months before eligibility for parole. Mudd, who described... (laughs) Mudd, who the judge described as McKay's, quote, best friend, has not fully recovered from the incident, suffering permanent nerve damage as well as physiological effects from the incident. Oh, I'm sorry. It's psychological effects. I can't read. I I, I just talk. I, I, I can't read. I'm sorry. This, you know, here, here's the icing on the cake, everybody. It was not the first time McKay has stabbed a friend. He was fined in 2009 in another slashing incident in Western Australia. What a fucking dude. This, guy, this is the second time this guy has stabbed one of his friends. Um, here's a note to uh, the other two gentlemen that he was playing with. Uh, Simon Mudd and Sean Peterson. Stay the fuck away from this guy. He is awful i this guy is literally stabbing his friends uh he was being a dickhead his friends told him he was being a dickhead and you know really in in kind of how i would imagine a dickhead responding he goes and he stabs him so guys playing golf is not even safe anymore especially if you are in australia so word of the wise don't yell blacked out golfers disrespecting the golf course because they are likely to disrespect you with a weapon. God, what the fuck? 
I'm sorry. I'm trying not to use profanities. We're, we're trying to clean up this podcast a little bit. But goddamn, I mean, that is so insane and unacceptable. I, you know, for stabbing somebody on a golf course, I think 10 months of parole may not quite be harsh enough. I mean, if this guy stabbed somebody already, uh, you would think that the second offense of doing something like that probably want to keep this guy away from civilized society. All right. Uh, other than that, uh, there was another article that I want to address to you guys that I saw on Golf Digest, and uh, it was addressing golfers and distance. And I'm not going to go into it too much. If you want to check it out, uh, you can go to Golf Digest. The article was published yesterday, April 17th, 2018, and it's titled, Are Average Golfers Gaining Distance? New Study Says Not by a Long Shot. And what's odd is that uh, we've heard all this stuff on the PGA Tour about, you know, needing to lengthen golf courses, that people are hitting the golf ball too far, yada, yada, yada. Um, but we're noticing that, you know, the pros are continuing to hit a little bit farther, but recreational golfers are not. And despite, you know, the advances in equipment here, over, you know, over the last several years, uh, there's really been no noticeable gain, uh, according to this article, from 2015 to 2018. And in fact, from 2017 to 2018 so far, They've noticed like a three-yard drop in driving distance. Um, and I thought it was interesting in that, you know, you are seeing distance gains year over year from golfers whose handicaps are five and lower. Uh, and then from the handicap five to about 25, you're noticing really nothing. I mean, year over year, there's really no difference in the distance uh, that golfers are hitting it off the tee. Uh, but then you get, oh, you know, above a 25 handicap, then you're actually starting to see a little bit of gain year over year again. And I think that's attributed to the technology in that because the golf clubs are getting so much more forgiving, that people who routinely hit the ball off center, they're starting to see a distance gain. And that's why the handicappers of 25 and over are seeing a little bit of distance. And then also, of course, the guys who are five handicaps and lower, they're just good golfers who are continually improving. And therefore, and, and their swings... Um, are generally much, much better. Uh, and so they're, you know, gaining a little bit of distance. And one of the reasons is a lot of this new technology is kind of made with the pros in mind. Uh, I mean, obviously the pros are using new equipment all the time. They're gaining distance because they have exceptional golf swings. And, you know, the same, the same general kind of theory applies to scratch golfers, you know, low single-digit handicappers. Um, but for the rest of us schmucks with the handicaps, you know, guys that like to play one, once, twice a week if we can, or a couple times a month, you know, the equipment really doesn't seem to be making that much of a difference. Um, but the one thing they did mention is it's mostly because most golfers are playing with non-fitted equipment. They did say that handicappers between 5 and 25 who actually had their clubs uh, tailored to them, custom-fitted you know, grinded and had the loft set to match their swing, they were noticing large gains uh, in distance off the tee, like as much as 20 yards uh, over like a four or five year span. So I, I think the the lesson that I learned from this story is unless you are below a five handicap or above a 25, the way that you can really actually start to see gains in distance and accuracy and really just overall scores uh, is to go and have yourself fitted uh, for your golf clubs. That's something I've had on the top of my to-do list for years. Uh, I still have not done it. However, uh, I have been in touch with a fitter down in the Bay Area that I'm going to try to uh, have that done here this summer, and who knows? 
maybe my handicap will finally start sniffing the, the middle of single digits, but I think that would also require me to play a little bit more golf, unfortunately, or fortunately. So that is what I'll be doing. I thought it was an interesting article. So one more time, if you want to go read that one for yourself, uh, it was pretty fascinating. Uh, that is uh, our average golfers gaining distance, and that is on golfdigest.com. And then the last little bit uh, of stuff that I wanted to uh, touch on with you guys is that Golf Week has released their course rankings for 2018. You listen to this podcast, you know that I'm a sucker for golf course rankings. Uh, and as you know, the first time that I had Andy Johnson from the Fried Egg on back in, yeah, I think February of 2017, uh, we you know we were talking about an article that he had written about you know the flaws in the different golf course ranking uh, systems. But we both had agreed that Golf Week certainly had the best set of criteria for evaluating and judging golf courses among all the publications between Golf Digest, Golf.com, and Golf Week. Those are the three major guys that do rankings every year. And uh, Golf Week Golf Week actually doesn't do an aggregated overall list. They divide it into three separate ones. So uh, the best modern courses, which I believe are uh, 1960 or later, Best classic courses, which are those courses built in 1959 or before. And then they also do kind of an aggregate one, but it's just the best courses you can play. So the list of the best public golf courses uh, in America. Um, I, I always find it really, really fascinating. I was looking through it for about 20 minutes this morning. So I just wanted to bring it to your guys' attention to go check it out. Uh, for the best courses that you can play, they do it by state. So if you live in California, they've got all the top public courses listed by their criteria from top to bottom and it's really really cool i mean uh, the one thing that lets me know that california's you know the rankings for golf week are a little bit more in line with where it should be is that after pebble beach at number one pasa tiempo was number two and it absolutely should be i mean pasa tiempo i could argue could be number one i you know if i had a choice to between between playing one round of golf at pebble and one round of golf at pasa tiempo I would probably play Pebble, and which is why it's probably number one. But it's more because of the, just the awe factor that Pebble Beach has. You know, it's right there on the ocean. It, it's got so much history in terms of major championships being played on it. However, if you told me that I had to be a member, you know, uh, if, if there was one, you know, if I had to play one of the two every week, I'd probably play Tiempo. So uh, California's rankings are really, really cool. Pebble 1, Tiempo 2, Spyglass 3, Rams Hill 4, Torrey Pines South 5, Rustic Canyon 6, Cordoval 7, uh, Stadium Course at PGA West 8, Barona Creek down near San Diego 9, and the Lynx at Spanish Bay round out the top 10. Uh, some other ones that I you know I like that are on the list, uh, Poppy Hills comes in at 11, uh, Bayonet at 17, Saddle Creek in Copperopolis. Uh, Saddle Creek, super underrated. Uh, I just uh, actually was uh, talking with a couple of folks down at Saddle Creek, and it seems like an awesome golf course. I was just looking through some pictures of it, and I'm going to be going to check that place out next month. Uh, it's supposed to be really, really awesome. And so Saddle Creek comes in at 18, a top 20 public course in the state of California where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of public golf courses. So all these courses that are listed here in their top 30 are all worth playing. Uh, very, very cool stuff. And then the one thing that I did notice uh, when when they rank the best modern courses, um, the one thing I took away from this is that Bill Corp, Ben Crenshaw, and Tom Doak are really, really, really good at what they do. Uh, the five top modern courses, according to Golf Week, were all designed by Bill Corp and Ben Crenshaw 
or Tom Doak. <laughs> and number six is a Tom Doak and Jack Nicholas collab- collaboration uh, at Sabonic uh, at six. So yeah, the modern courses go Sand Hills, Nebraska one, Pacific Dunes two, Friars Head three, Ballyneal four, Old MacDonald five. <laughs> Uh, it's really, really great. So anyway, guys, if you are into golf course rankings, go check out golfweek.com and check out their rankings and you can kind of geek out just like I've been doing on that stuff. And, uh, that's it. That that's all I've got for you. Beautiful, simple people this week. Uh, I'll be back next Wednesday. I'm going to have a guest, but I'm not going to tell you who. So until next Wednesday, I hope you guys all enjoy your week. I hope you get a chance to watch some of the LPGA Tour event in Los Angeles this weekend, whether you are going to be spectating live or you are going to be watching on television. It should be a really, really fun golf tournament, so I hope you check that out. And I hope you get out and play some golf. Weather should be good this weekend. I am going to be heading up to Bend, Oregon uh, this weekend. is my very first foray into Central Oregon. I got a couple golf courses I'm going to be stopping by, but I'm actually going up for a really, you know, competitive disc golf tournament this weekend uh, that is pretty much just going to be a handful of guys drinking their faces off and throwing discs around. But I'm going to be bookending that disc golf tournament with some golf on Friday and Sunday. So when I come back next week, I'll report back on some of my experiences up there. Uh, Going to be a lot of beer drinking and a lot of golfing, both the disc and classic variety. So until then, have a great week, everybody. Uh, if you have not already, go to golfguide.net, visit the store, and save some money on your greens fees at golf courses all across Northern California, and use the promo code GGPODCAST at checkout to save 10% on any purchase that you make of $50 or more. Once again, that's promo code GGPODCAST at the golfguide.net store. All right, that's it, everybody. We'll see you next week. Mahalo. Mahalo.